Good morning. My name is Jared Perry. I'm the uh, assistant youth pastor here at our Southwood campus, which means I work with our 7th through 12th graders. Excited to be here with you guys this morning. If you heard me last week at Anderson, I'm going to pray in just a minute. You can sneak out and head over there for the 11 o'clock service. Maybe Shipley's in between is a good recommendation for you. But um, we're going to be in James chapter 1, verse 27 this morning. Uh, So if you want to begin opening your Bibles there, uh, we'll, we'll be reading from that text this morning. I hope you guys had a great spring break and have been enjoying a lot of basketball. Uh, had some fun games this past weekend, and so really enjoyed getting to rest up. Um, but excited to be here today as we look in James one twenty seven. So here's what Scripture says to us. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity that we have to come and study your word, to look at the truth that it has in it, and see both your heart and what you've called us to. Father, I pray and ask this morning that you would speak through me, that this wouldn't be time where I am just um, speaking from my own wisdom or knowledge or effort, but God, that, that you would move and work in our hearts here to make truth more real. And make us people that make you more glorified in this earth. And guys, I'd ask you to take a second and pray for yourselves. Ask the Lord. You've had a, a holiday week for some of you. Um, it was a spring break. Ask the Lord that he would take this time to refocus you and show you something deeper about this truth from this text. I ask you to pray that also for those around you. If you know their name, use their name please, but pray and ask that the Lord would move and work in their lives, that the Spirit would be teaching them something deeper from this text as well. And finally, pray for me. Religion that is pure and undefiled, this is a weighty passage, a heavy passage, and I I, want to do it well, and I do that not in my own spirit, but only by the Lord. So pray that I would be able to rely on Him this morning. Father, we ask these things and trust in your faithfulness and goodness, and we pray them in your Son's name by the Spirit. Amen. After being in the car for what had felt like days, my body was tired, I was sore, and I was starving. My family was making a road trip from Houston to Colorado to go skiing, and anyone who's made that trip knows at some point all of the peanuts and the M&Ms just aren't enough to satisfy you. You need some good food. You need to get out of the car and stretch your legs and have something good. And so my dad said, hey, why don't we get to a Wendy's? And all I could think about then was a juicy cheeseburger and crispy fries and an ice-cold Dr. Pepper. And so I said, yes, let's do it. Let's go. And so we drove in. We had just passed that sign that said, Welcome to Colorado. And so we drove into the state. And for the first time, the very first Wendy's that we saw, we pulled right in. And I was the first one out of the car. All right. I'd like climbed over my brothers and I'm like, headed straight for the cash register. I get up there. I know what I'm going to order. And so I stand before the cashier and say, I'll have a Texas double cheeseburger. And before I can get to the fries or to the Dr. Pepper, she stops me and says, What is that? I said, okay, surely in my hunger, something had come out as like a groaning or something. Maybe you didn't understand, so let me slow down for you. I've been eating these for my entire life, so I know this is your problem, not mine. Let's have 
a Texas double cheeseburger. And she said, we don't serve those here. And before, thankfully, before I started berating her, I stopped and was like, well, yeah, because they probably don't serve Texas double cheeseburgers in the state of Colorado, right? Like, that's not something that's going to happen there because as much as we love our state, I don't think Colorado loves Texas as much as we do, right? So in that moment, I realized, oh my gosh, I've made this huge mistake. I passed this huge sign that said, welcome to Colorado. I'd seen it, but I didn't think about the implications. I didn't think about what that actually meant for me. That as I went to Wendy's, I couldn't order a Texas double cheeseburger anymore. That there was more for my life now because I got to have a Colorado double cheeseburger. No, it was just a regular double cheeseburger there now. See, I'd seen this huge sign. It was right there in front of my face, and I'd even acknowledged it. I'd even recognized, oh my gosh, yes, we're in Colorado, finally. But even in acknowledging it, I hadn't recognized the implications. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we do that with the Scriptures. That sometimes we read the Word and we see its truth and we can recognize it and we can say, yes, that's there. But we miss the implications. We miss the depth. And really catching what it really, really means for us. And as we look at this text of what is pure and undefiled religion before God... There is no truth that I would rather you grasp this morning than understanding the depths of what this actually means. Because the reality is this. As we look at this verse, we see the sacrificial care that God displays in the gospel compels his people to sacrificially care for the orphan, the widow, and the world. That what God is calling us to in this verse, what God has called pure and undefiled religion, boils down to this, that the sacrificial care that God displays in the gospel compels his people to sacrificially care for the orphan, the widow, and the world. And I don't want you to miss this truth because you've seen this text before. I want you to understand the implications. And so we're going to look first at what he means when he says to sacrificially care for the orphan. God has called his people to sacrificially care for the orphan, and it's clear here. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now that term pure and undefiled in Greek, the word pure means clean or innocent or clear. And so James here is is literally saying this is clean religion. This is innocent religion. This is pure religion. Now, James isn't trying to encompass everything that there is to know about religion. It's not that you can walk away from this and just say, okay, religion is just these three things. But what he's telling us is foundationally, at the heart of what we do, pure and undefined religion is care for the orphan, care for the widow, and care for the world. And the reason he's going to make this claim is because this is consistent with the heart that God has shown us throughout history and throughout Scripture. It's really, really amazing. So as we look at this term, to visit, right? Because this is the call that James gives to us. Visit orphans in their affliction. That term visit for us can carry different connotations. If you're sick, sometimes you need to go visit the doctor. Maybe over spring break or over holiday, you have to go visit a family member that maybe you don't want to, right? Um, And so that carries forth an obligation. I have to go do this thing. I don't really want to. Sometimes we think of that word visit, and that's what it means to us. This term is very different in the Greek. It's the idea of intentionally caring for someone. That as you visit them, you are coming to them to intentionally care for them. I think this is best illustrated in Luke chapter 7. 
In Luke chapter 7, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has just raised from the dead the son of a widow. And as the people are looking at this, what do they say? In verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. And fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. See, this term here, the people weren't looking at this saying, Oh, Jesus came down out of obligation. No, 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 no. God has visited. God has showed up and cared for his people. God has showed up in a way to be intentional with his people out of concern for them. And so when James uses this term visit, it's not go to the orphan out of obligation. Go to the orphan because the Bible told you so. No, 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 no. He calls us that in our heartbeats we are to care compassionately, to care intentionally, to care sacrificially for the orphan. That's what God has called us to. That's what James has said is pure and undefiled religion. And honestly, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. As we look at biblical history, we go back and see that God was concerned about the brokenness of the family from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God has created a beautiful world. He creates Adam and Eve, and he said these things are very good. And then in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters into the world as Adam and Eve are tempted, and for the first time, they disobey the Lord. And before even we see the separation between God and man, before even we see the separation that sin causes between our relationship with our Creator, we see a separation between man and wife. We see a separation of the family. That Adam and Eve experienced shame for the first time, and what was meant to be a one-flesh relationship has now become broken and separated. And this family relationship is broken in Genesis chapter 3, and yet, even in the midst of that, God is going to promise in Genesis 3.15 that there is a Savior coming. And Adam and Eve may not have known it, but we can look at it now. And see that God says there is a seed of a woman. There is literally a male heir of a woman who is coming. One who will crush the head of the serpent. He will crush the head of evil. That even in the midst, in the moments after our sin, God promises a way to restore and fix this brokenness of the family that has happened. Because this is the heart of God. We see this carried out in Exodus chapter 22. A lot of us have seen Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, or maybe we've seen the Prince of Egypt, right? We know this story, right? God comes and he gives the law and he gives the Ten Commandments. And so often we think that's all God wrote and that's all God gave to Moses. And yet, God gives so much more. As he's telling his people in Exodus chapter 20, who he's called out of Egypt, this is how you live for me. This is what it looks like to be my people. And this is what he says to them in Exodus chapter 22 as he's explaining to them what it means to be God's chosen people. Exodus 22, verse 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. God is serious about caring for the orphan. So serious that he's saying, I call you my people and I want you to be mine, but you care for them or else my wrath is coming. It's interesting, this Greek word for orphan is used only one other time in the New Testament, just once. John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. 
Guys, the very heart of God is to care for the orphan, to sacrificially give for the orphan, so much so that God Himself said, I will send my son to this earth to live a perfect life, to die a life, to die a death that he did not deserve, in order that he could come to you as orphans and make you as a member of a family again, to restore to you the life that you were supposed to have. I give my son in order that this would happen. That's how much God cares for the orphan. That is the heartbeat of God. And this heartbeat of sacrificial care compels us as his people to follow in his footsteps, to care for the orphan around us and among us. And honestly, guys, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's hard for us. Because for a lot of us, we're at the life stage where we go, Jared, I can't actually have an orphan in my home. And we think about orphan care and we think about providing for them and we think about having orphans in our home because that's their affliction, right? That's their need. Orphans have been taken from their homes and they need a family. And Jared, I can't do that. And there is a need there. In Brazos County alone, as of February, there were over 50 kids who had to be removed from their home by CPS. 50 kids that needed to be placed in foster homes because they'd become orphans. And yet, in Brazos County, we only had just over 20 families that could accept those orphans into their homes. So we had 30 kids who not only were taken from their parents, not only were taken from the places that they lived, but now were taken from their friends, they were taken from their schools, they were taken to different places around Texas where they didn't know anyone. They didn't have anything. Because we failed to recognize the heart of God that is consistent throughout history and recognize the role that we can play to help. So there is a need. And look, there are a ton of great reasons why you might not have kids in your home, why it might not be the right time for you to have children into your home. But can I tell you, there's also a lot of good things that you can sacrifice in order to take care of these orphans and their afflictions in order to be someone for these kids that need people because the people in their life, the parents who are supposed to love them, to, to disciple them, to nurture them, because of the brokenness of sin, those parents are gone. And they need someone to care for them. And it requires sacrifice. It requires you being willing to give something up, something good, Maybe a good reason for why I shouldn't have kids in my home, but, but it requires you to give something up and sacrifice for them on their behalf. Maybe you're in here going, Jared, that's great, but I'm not at that life stage. Well, can I tell you, you can still care for orphans. This passage isn't just pure and undefiled religion for 30-year-olds with a home is this, right? <laughs> this is pure and undefiled religion for everyone of every age. So even if you're my high school student who's sitting over there listening to one of my fellows give a sermon, you are still called to care for the orphan. So what does that look like for you? What are the opportunities that you have? Well, to sacrificially care for the orphan, it can look like a number of different ways. So first off, maybe you're a college student. And maybe one thing that you can do is come and you as your house can make food for people who are providing through foster care, a home for an orphan where you can say, yes, you're providing for the home, but I'm going to take care of the meal. I'm going to provide food for you as you've brought this kid into your home. And so once a week or once a month, I'm going to take care of this 
child, I'm going to visit him or her in their afflictions by providing food. Maybe I'm going to come do your lawn. Maybe I'm going to come mow for you, or I'm going to come pull weeds, or I'm going to come clean your house so that you have more time to spend with this child. That's the way that I can visit and care for the orphan and be sacrificial. Maybe it's through babysitting. For those of you that don't know, to do babysitting through foster care, it's not just, hey, can I text you and you show up? The organization that my wife and I have been with for foster care requires that you be CPR certified and that you have an FBI background check done. And so maybe you're a college student and you're saying, I can't do some of these other things, but God has called me to sacrificially care for the orphan. And so for you, it's your willingness to sacrifice your time and some money in order to get certified, to be able to provide babysitting opportunities for these families. Our students have been doing this now for about a year uh, with an organization called Faith of the Fatherless here. And our high school students, the first time we did it, we had a family that came up and told me, this was so, so great. Thank you so much. My husband and I haven't been on a date for 10 months since these kids came into our home. We haven't been able to find a babysitter. Maybe you could sacrifice some of your time, some of your money in order to give these families the time that they need to have a healthy marriage so that they can be healthy parents and make a difference in the lives of these kids. Maybe you feel older and maybe you're saying, I'm too old and at, at too old of a life stage to have kids into my home. Can I tell you there's opportunities for you? These families need help buying clothes for these kids. Maybe you can provide a Target gift card or food. Maybe you can cook something for these kids that as they've come into these homes with literally just the clothes on their back, they need. They need a home, yes. They need someone who can step in and love them, yes. But they need food. They need clothes. They need help. What can you sacrificially give that's consistent with the heart that the Lord showed to sacrificially give for us when we were orphans? Our graphic designer used put this together for us, and I love it. I love it not just because it tugs at our heart and shows this kid who is clearly in need. That's great, but, but what I love is how it shows all the different ways that you can help, right? Maybe you're the one providing the home, for this kid, but maybe you're also providing medical care. Maybe you're providing food. Maybe you are giving in some way to this child. I don't know what it is, but there's tons of options up here. It's not just you have to be able to have a kid in your home to be able to provide for orphans. There are so many opportunities, and the reality is we are called to sacrifice regardless of what life stage for them, to care for them, because this is pure and undefiled religion. And so if you want some opportunities, the best thing that I can encourage you to do is go to faithfultothefatherless.com. This is an organization that we at Grace here support and work with. It's an awesome place where you can go and connect with families who have adopted or are fostering kids in our community. And they have needs. There's a uh, Facebook group as well, um, Friends of Faithful to the Fatherless. And even this last week, there was a woman who was at our Anderson service last week. She joined the Faithful of the Fa- or Friends of Faithful of the Fatherless Facebook group, found out that they needed help sorting of a foster pantry where they've taken food and clothes for kids who are being fostered so that families can come and get that whenever there's a placement in their home. They found out, she found out they needed help, and so she showed up last week and was able to help in an amazing way. Some of these parents, just in something that may seem really simple to us but makes all the difference to these families and allows them to be able to care 
better for these kids. So faithfultothefatherless.com is a great place for you to go to check that out. Check him out on Facebook. If you're looking for opportunities for how can you sacrificially care for an orphan, that's where I'd start. That's where I'd start. But the reality is we're not just called to sacrificially care for orphans. We're also called to sacrificially care for the widow, and the two go hand in hand. And let's look at why that is. In verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And so we've looked at the affliction of the orphan. Let's talk about the affliction of a widow. Widows in the Roman age were, were in a very vulnerable position. To be able to provide for themselves was very, very difficult. They were kept from being able to inherit land. They were in, it was difficult for them to make the money that they needed to provide for themselves. So much so that one of the early church's arguments was about, are we taking care of these widows enough? Are we making sure that food and money is being able to distribute it so that they have what they need? Because it was difficult for these widows because of where they were and how vulnerable they were to be able to take care of themselves. And so God calls his people through the book of James to visit them, to intentionally care for them, to sacrificially provide in their affliction. And so what is their affliction? The reality is that widows and widowers have experienced a deep loss that God never intended for his people to experience, that God never intended anyone to experience. As we think back to Genesis 1 and 2, that God created a world where death did not exist, a world where we didn't have to experience loss, and that he knit man and woman together, and the two became one flesh. But that when sin entered in this world, it brought death so much so that God would say, from dust you are made and to dust you shall return. That is the consequence and penalty of sin. And so this thing that had been made one flesh is now broken again by death. And there's a tearing that happens there, a loss that happens there. And it's painful and it is hard. And so in addition to the vulnerability that comes in this culture from being a widow, there's also the pain of loss and suffering. And God has said, I call you to visit them in this affliction, to visit them in this vulnerability, to visit them in the midst of this loss. And this requires sacrifice. For the early church, it meant giving of their possessions. It meant giving of their things that they had in order that these widows would have what they need. It meant giving of your time to be a friend, to listen, to mourn, to weep. The reality is this is at the very heart of God. That He recognizes the pain of this loss and He desires deeply to fix it. That again in Genesis 3, He promised that He would come again. He promised that He would take care of the pain of death and that He would fix it. And he fixed it through his son, Jesus Christ, who he offered as a sacrifice on our behalf in order that this might happen. Revelation 21 promises this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. See, the promised future that God has for mankind is one in which this loss does not exist. This vulnerability of losing a spouse does not exist because death has passed away. God has promised, I will take care of this thing. And the intention of his salvation is that death would be no more, that we would be free from this pain. 
God cares about those who have lost. God cares about those who are vulnerable. It's in his very heartbeat. This past semester, I lost my grandfather. Uh, it was the first grandparent I've lost. Um, and he, it was hard. Um, and he passed away here in town uh, in College Station. And so as soon as I heard, I, I went up to the hospital. My grandmother was up there. My aunt was up there. Um, and no one can prepare you for that room. It, like there's not, there's not a way to describe that experience or that moment um, when you've lost a loved one, when, when you've, both the weight for me and how difficult that was for me, but also seeing my grandmother and how, <laughs> how just unnatural this was, how broken this was. There's nothing anyone can say or do to prepare you for that. But it's real. And, and I've been so thankful to, to be here in town with my grandmother, to be able to go visit her. My aunt's here. My parents live in Houston. They've been able to get up, and it's been great. But it's been even cooler to see the woman who lives across the street from her, who doesn't know our family. She's not really friends with us, and yet she has taken the time and given up time with her kid to go over and spend time and check on my grandmother and see how she's doing, that she's regularly checked in, so much so that even yesterday she's come to know my wife, and she was asking my wife, hey, there's a bunch of people that have been in and around the house. Is everything okay? Is, is Jared's grandmother all right? She doesn't know us. She's got a life. She's got a job. She's got a husband. She's got a kid. She's got all the reasons in the world not to care about her neighbor, but the woman across the street lost her husband. And so I am called, I'm compelled to care for her. I am compelled to check in on her. God calls us to sacrificially care for the widow, to care for the vulnerable, to care for those who have lost. So for you, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe there is someone who is lost in your neighborhood. Someone down the street from you or next door to you that could use someone that could just come over and check in on them. That requires sacrifice. Sacrifice of your time. Sacrifice of your social life. Sacrifice of your rest for you to be able to go and say, I'm going to make an effort to get to know you and to be there for you. Maybe this person's loss doesn't look just like a widow. Maybe it's a single parent who's experienced loss of a spouse in a different way, but still in a broken way. And you have the opportunity to help this single parent in some other way. Maybe their kid is on your kid's softball team or baseball team or basketball team, and you can drive their kid to and from practice that you can figure out Thursdays are really hard for them and maybe I can send a meal. Losing a spouse is incredibly painful. Maybe you can just listen. Maybe you're going, Jared, okay, I don't know who the person is in my life who's lost. I don't, I don't know anyone like that. Here's a great opportunity for you to sacrificially care for the widow. It's a group that we have here called Owls here at Grace. Those are our older saints. Jerry Parkerson has been working with them and, and helping us at Grace care for these people who are at a different life stage and have experienced much more than we have. Maybe the opportunity for you is to get connected here at Grace, to get to know some of these men and women to get to have a conversation with them, to see what they need, to contact Jerry about how you could help out our Al's ministry. If that's a good fit for you, here's his email. I talked to them. He would love to be flooded with emails this next week of people who are willing to say, I need to be sacrificially caring for the widows, for the vulnerable, for those who have lost. I don't know how to do that. Can you help me? Jerry would love to help show you 
what it looks like to follow this heart that God has by sacrificially caring for the widow. Now James doesn't end there. He calls us to sacrificial care for the orphan, to sacrificial care for the widow, and finally he calls us to sacrificial care for the world. Now this one's a little trickier, so I want you to stick with me here, okay? So after talking about widows and orphans, James says this, that pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now there's a couple words I want to talk about here. This word to keep is a, it's a present verb. It's an active verb. It's a verb in the Greek that is continuing in meaning. It's not simply one time. It's not simply something that you do once and then it's fixed. It's, it's something that you have to continue in, that we have to continue keeping ourselves unstained from the world. Now, that word unstained is a, sta- is a word that Peter's going to use in 1 Peter when he says talking about Jesus Christ, that he was pure like a lamb who was unblemished, that he was unstained. So we're talking about this process that we are continually going through to try and keep ourselves pure, to try and keep ourselves holy, keep ourselves righteous. But the reality is, church, that sometimes for us, when we hear that idea, we think, I need to pull away. We think keep myself unstained means I need to guard and guard and guard and pull away from the world so that it cannot touch me. That's the best way to keep myself unstained. And there's wisdom there. And yet what I found myself thinking of as I was preparing for this text is the fact that God himself could have looked down at our broken world that was totally stained in complete and utter depravity with men and women who were unable to do anything other than evil and wickedness. And God could have said the best thing for me to do is to take a step back to keep myself from these people so that their unrighteousness doesn't stain me. But what does he say instead? God says, no, I will go visit them. That I love them so much that I cannot leave them as orphans, but I will go and I will send my son to die on the cross for their sins so that his blood would stain them for good. That God recognized that there are good stains in this world and that the opposite of being unstained isn't simply removing oneself, but it's staining something for the better. And so we see this in Hebrews chapter 9. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, this is what Christ has done for us. That when you, by grace through faith, accept Jesus Christ and you are made righteous before the Lord, what happens? His blood is put on you. And His blood makes our conscience, our hearts, purified. That it takes dead works, it takes broken people, and it makes them good again. And He stains us for good, not the opposite. And so when God calls us in James to keep ourselves unstained from the world, Christian, we are not called just to retreat into our own Christian bubbles, we are called to be wise, yes, but also to be making a difference, to also to be staining the world for good. I've got a three-year-old son, and he loves VeggieTales, okay? So if you don't know VeggieTales, thank the Lord, okay, all day today. Just thank the Lord, because the songs just get in your head, and you cannot get rid of them, particularly these songs called Silly Songs with Larry. Larry is the cucumber, in VeggieTales, and he is the 
Um, some would call him a protagonist. I feel like he's my personal antagonist, but we'll work with that, all right? So Larry the Cucumber has all these silly songs, and Amazon, thankfully, Prime has given us all the silly songs in like one packaged little hour-long episode, which is great. And so there's songs that I love, like the Water Buffalo song, and I love my lips, and all these old Veggie Tales that are very nostalgic for me. But then there's a new Veggie Tales song called Sippy Cup that I've never heard before in my life, but I've been introduced now to by my son. And the premise of Sippy Cup is that Larry the Cucumber has gone to a restaurant, and he would like to have a drink, and he would like to drink it from a regular glass. But the waiter says, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, Larry, you can't have the regular glass because you spill things. And so we need to give you a sippy cup. And Larry's very afraid, okay? Larry says, if I have a sippy cup, everyone will make fun of me, okay? Don't give me a sippy cup. Give me a jug, give me a mug, give me anything else, but don't give me a sippy cup, okay? And so they call the maitre d', and the maitre d' says, no, 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 I've got all these notes about how you used to spill things. And then they call the busboy, and he says, no, 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 this guy has to have his sippy cup, because if not, he's going to spill, And so then somehow in this magical world, a judge appears out of nowhere in this restaurant and he goes, I declare you not cuppable and you have to have a sippy cup, right? You can't have a real person cup. And then the judge gets a call from the governor of vegetable land who says, okay, no, 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 I'm going to step in on his behalf and give him a real cup. And so they bring out Larry a cup of grape juice, right? And he's got this grape juice, and sure enough, he starts to drink it, and being a cucumber, I guess he like slips when he leans back, right? And the grape juice goes everywhere, and he spills, and he just runs out of the restaurant because now he's stained everything. And all their fears had come true that the sippy cup that they had wanted him to have, but they didn't give him, had caused this problem because the stains were everywhere. And it's like, oh, my fears were realized. And so that justifies... Us having given him a sippy cup, look, we were right. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have tried that. And Christians, sometimes we think, let's just keep the sippy cups, right? Let's just for ourselves make sure we're not getting too spiritually out there. We're not giving people too much that they can handle. Let's not risk things because we don't want to be stained. Christian, can I encourage you first off? Your righteousness is not determined by yourself, but by Jesus Christ who bled and died for you. And that can never be taken away. There is absolutely nothing in this world that can change the fact that you have been made right by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith and trust in Him. And so yes, be wise. Yes, please be wise about the stains of this world. Absolutely. But do not, do not, do not live in fear such that you miss out on opportunities to make a stain for the gospel, that you miss out on opportunities to make a difference in the lives of those around you for the gospel because you were too afraid. This text is not calling us just to hide ourselves away, but it's reminding us of the heart of God that said, yes, those things are broken. Yes, there's danger there, but I love you too much to leave you as orphans. And I'm coming, and I will be here. The reality is I wish I could sit here and tell you exactly what all this looks like in your life. Because I would love for people in this world to look at Grace Bible Church and say, those people are doing pure and undefiled religion. I wish I could give you three points that you go home right now and do these three things, and now all of a sudden we are the church that is doing pure and undefiled religion. But the reality is that sacrificial care for the world means giving yourself up for those around you, and I don't know them. 
but you do. You have the opportunity to know the people around you, and it's going to take sacrifice even on the front end. Sacrifice of not having someone hand you actions that you can do to make a difference in their life, but sacrifice because you're going to have to listen to them. You're going to have to know them. You're going to have to get messy and dirty with them, not because you are being stained, but because you want to make a stain on their life with the gospel. It's going to take you sacrificing and making an effort to care for them. And we cannot sit idly by in fear because God has compelled us to live for more because it's at the very heart of who He is and at His work in history. And so maybe there's a person at work, a person in class, someone at Starbucks that you see, I don't know who it is, someone on their street, but someone that you have the opportunity to get to know. Someone whose brokenness is scary and real. And in your fear, you could shy away from. But you've passed this sign now. And it has implications for your life. That's more than just, oh, that was cool, I saw that in church one day. But now you have to do something about it. Now you have to recognize that you've been called to something greater. To sacrificial cares for the orphan, for the widow, and for the world. And if you're here and you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, there are greater implications to this text because of what it tells us about who God is, about His very heart. And let me tell you, if you're here and you're not a believer, thank you for coming. Thank you for visiting with us. You may have seen a different kind of Christianity. Somebody else may have presented something else to you that's different. This is who our God is. We have a God who loves the vulnerable. We have a God who loves a world who hates Him and He cares for them. And regardless of what you've seen from His broken people that are trying but we're not perfect, this is who He really is. And I guarantee you someone who knows Him would love to have a conversation with you about it. I'll be here after the service, but... Any of these people in this room would love to have a conversation with you about him and about what they know about him. Because Christian or not, this is the true God. And that's why this is pure and undefiled religion. Because it comes from the pure heart of our Savior. It comes from the pure heart of our good, good Father. He compels us by his sacrificial care that he's displayed in the gospel to sacrificially care for the orphan, the widow, and the world. And so my question is, if that's who he is, who are you going to choose to be? Not because this saves you, not because doing these things is going to make you right before him, but if, if this is the God who has rescued you, if this is the God that you claim to love, Christian, then who are you going to choose to be? Are you willing to sacrifice the way he was? Are you willing to give up things that are good in order to care for these things that have need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you again for this truth that you did not leave us vulnerable, that you did not leave us without a family, but Father, that you cared enough for this world to come to send your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, that he rose from the dead, that we might have life again. 
And Father, I pray that today that you would compel your people by the power of your Spirit to go forth, not so that we can look better, not so that we can be more righteous, but Father God, that your heart may be known in this world, that you may be praised, that you may be glorified. So Father, we love you and we trust you. And we pray these things in your Son's name by the Spirit. Amen. Thank you guys. Y'all have a great week. We will see you next week back here at Southwood.